How long have we got? Okay, Matthew 24, if you want to turn there. <laughs> We're going to be learning about birth pains today. So Matthew 24, verse 6, we'll start at verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. Now hopefully at the end of the message we'll ask the question, why must these things happen, Jesus? Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And Luke includes also there will be pestilences and fearful events. A bit like COVID and things like that. Pestilences as well. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So what are birth pains also known as? Labour. Contractions. Okay, Wendy and Alex, would you like a French suite or a toilet roll? Toilet roll or a French suite, okay. All right. One of them will rot your teeth and one of them will comfort your, um, your bottom. Okay. All right. So, yes, contractions. Now, apparently, contractions can cause mild discomfort. Isn't that right? You've heard that. Chris has heard that. Contractions are slightly uncomfortable. Is that true? If you're a man having to watch it, no, ladies, ladies, make make sure we know that actually contractions are the worst thing ever, don't they? They're they're pretty bad. Well, if they are that bad, if contractions, labour pains, birth pains are that bad, why do you have more than one child? Some of us didn't know. Some of us, some of us stopped at one. But for those who didn't stop at one, can you tell us? It's worth it, Rudo. I think it's like magic that happens, and God makes you forget. Yeah, magic happens, and God makes you forget. All right. And then you do it again. Yes. But I can't explain it. It's almost It's worth it. It is, isn't it? Well, we'll look at... The, the, the joy of giving birth helps you to forget the pain. Yeah. yeah. We'll look at Jesus' words about how he explains the magic in a minute. But it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth going through that pain, even once you've had it before, going again, and maybe a third time, maybe a fourth time, even more. Can you think of a reason why God would allow the world to go through so much pain? Could it be because it might be worth it in the end? Why did Jesus knowingly go through so much physical, mental and spiritual agony? Yeah, that's what the Bible says, isn't it? You're worth it. It was worth it. It says in Hebrews, doesn't it? He did it for the joy that was set before him. Now, what is that joy? Mm. Well, there's kind of two, there's two things, isn't there, really? The joy is being back at heaven with his father. He was looking forward to that. We know that from the prayer he prayed. I'm looking forward to being back with you, father, with the joy, the glory that we had together. 
But also, he was looking forward to us. We're also the joy. You know, someone who, who in his mid-30s suddenly turns to the Lord and said, actually, I do want you. I do want to be saved. I, I, I realise I'm nothing without you. So thank you for your, for your testimony this morning, Nick. I could have listened to you all morning, actually. So thank you. Yeah. Do you know, even before Jesus was arrested, he was in such torment that it says he was sweating drops of blood. Does anyone know the medical term for sweating drops of blood? Could be worth a toilet roll. It's... Ed? No? No? It is hematohydrosis. Yes. <laughs> Hematohydrosis may occur in individuals suffering from extreme levels of stress. Around the sweat glands there are multiple blood vessels in a net-like form which constrict under the pressure of great stress to the point where they leak into the, the sweat gland and out comes blood. Can you remember what Jesus said at this point? I'll remind you, in Mark 14 it says, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's how stressed he was, even before he was being beaten up, whipped and crucified. That's what it's like to carry your sin. The sins of the world. Even though he was sinless and blameless, he did it for the joy that was set before him. You're worth it going through that much pain and agony. He had to do it though. It must happen. Couldn't have happened any other way. Now, we've already kind of touched on this point, but can you remember what Jesus had to say about why mothers endure the pain of childbirth, even for a second time or a third time? Yep. Yeah. Where is that, Jack? You can get. You can. Get, do you want a toilet roll or a sweep? Toilet roll. Everyone's intrigued by the toilet. Are they as good as I say? Just one sheet. That will last for ages, wouldn't it? John 16. Turn to John chapter 16, please. John chapter 16, verse 21. Do you know there's so much in the Bible that explains so much that we don't even realise? You know, it, isn't it the Bible is basic information before leaving earth? There's, this, there's so much in the Word of God that he knew we'd experience. There's some things that we can't get from the Word of God, but, you know, specifically, but there's so much in general. So even Jesus explained about childbirth. He said, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now joy, I think, is from the Holy Spirit. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, at least, isn't it? There's happiness, we all be happy, but maybe joy is something spiritual. So maybe that's the magic, Rudo. It's this Holy Spirit joy, whether you're a believer or not, the Holy Spirit, just seeing a new baby born into the, to the world and, and blessing the mother with joy. And they forget all the pain, it's worth it. And then he said, he carried on, because he's using this as an analogy in verse 22, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice 
and no one will take away your joy. Now I think Jesus is talking about the fact that his first disciples will experience their grief on Good Friday, Thursday night when he got arrested and on Good Friday. But then their joy will happen three days later when they see Jesus again on Resurrection Sunday. The grief of Friday is kind of forgotten with the joy of Resurrection Sunday. But I think also Jesus is talking to the world which is experiencing the grief of wars, rumours of wars, pestilence and other scary things. Jesus is saying, look, you're grieving right now, you are suffering right now, but just like childbirth, when you've gone through the pain and the anguish, it is going to be worth it. You know, you're going to forget about that because of the joy you suddenly experience when you see me. Anyone going to see him again? Whether you ascend to heaven because you died or whether he comes back and takes you, whether he comes soon, you're going to see him again and your joy is going to be forever. The Bible describes it as everlasting joy or joy everlasting. Isn't that wonderful? No matter what we're experiencing right now as individuals or as a world. Out of interest, when a woman has contractions, begins the contraction part, what does that signify? What does that mean? When the, when the woman starts to have contractions, what's going to happen? The birth. The birth is near. So when Jesus says the world is going to experience contractions, birth pains, what does Jesus mean is going to become near? What's about to happen? Yeah? The return of Jesus, the judgment of mankind, heaven or hell, the banishment of evil, and the new reign of heaven on earth. That's what's going to come, and that's what these birth pains are pointing to. It's going to be awful, but then it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be painful, but then it's going to be joyful. It means the baby is near and the mum's body is beginning to push. Okay. We know it takes about nine months from conception to birth in a human pregnancy. Out of interest, would anyone like to guess out of all the mammals who have a pregnancy and give birth like we do as humans, out of all the mammals, would you like to guess, Riley? Elephant. Elephant. Okay, you're right and you're wrong. Okay, let me finish the question. <laughs> Would you like to guess out of all the mammals, which one has the shortest pregnancy? Rhinoceros. Mouse. Shrew. Rat. Okay. Yes, most people, including myself, when I googled this, were, were assuming that it's going to be a mouse. Okay, because everyone knows the mouse get pregnant and have babies quickly. But, begins with a P. This mammal begins with a P. Panda, no? Possum. I'm not giving one to Marie because I told Marie on holiday what it is. Who said possum at the back? Was it Mike? I'm assuming you're wanting a tolerance. Yes. A possum? Who said it first? Okay, Max. Toller roll. Okay, a possum gets pregnant and gives birth within 12 to 13 days. Isn't that amazing? From nothing, from a sperm and egg, to 
a living possum. Well called, Mags, and well dodged, Norman. Thank you. Isn't that miraculous? Isn't that amazing? 12 to 13 days. Isn't God incredible? From nothing to something living, breathing, thinking, moving in 13 days. Crikey. All right. Yeah, I should have seen what he did in 16 days. Well, um, a mouse is 18 days. If anyone's wondering, I'm close. A rat, mouse, 18 days. Uh, would you like, Riley, would you like a sweep or the last toilet roll? Toilet roll. Okay. Out of interest, which is the longest pregnancy? Elephant, yes. With a total of how many months? I've got 21, but 21 months. Can you imagine the labour pains of an elephant giving birth to, an, to an, a baby elephant? Okay. Does, does Jesus and the Bible, we, we've gone from nine months, then possum is 13 days, elephant 21 months, but Jesus talks about the, the earth having birth pains, contractions. Does Jesus or the Bible give us any indications to how long it would be from when Jesus first warned us about wars, rumours of wars and contractions to when the actual birth would be? Does Jesus or the Bible give us any indication of how long this might be? No. No? I mean, as Christians, we all quote, quote Jesus' words of no one knows the time, nor the angels, not even the Son. Only the Father knows the time when I'm going to come back, the end time, Okay. So, in one sense, we don't know. So that no, anyone who kind of says it's going to be next week or in year so and so, they don't. They don't know. Okay. But does Jesus or the Apostle Paul or Peter give us indication of why it's taking this length of time and what might happen in the meantime? Yes. All right. We're in Matthew 24. Just skip forward to verse 14. Jesus gives an indication of what is happening in the meantime and when might we likely see the birth, the contractions of it kind of forming into the birth of him returning. Verse 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what will be a good indication that we're actually experiencing or about to experience the final birth pains and the return of Jesus? Yeah. When the whole world has heard the gospel. Has that happened yet? Confidently saying no? Are we near there yet? Yes. Stephen, don't know. Wendy? We're obviously nearer than we were when Jesus first spoke this. Well, actually, the gospel has gone to the whole world. When you're talking about countries, the gospel has gone to every country in the world, Okay, which is amazing. How many countries are there in the world? 192. Well, I heard Mike say 193. In the, in the UN, okay. Yerudo said 196. 
One simple. Well, according to Google, it's 195. But there are some little islands or little countries or people groups within the nations that are not classified as countries by the UN, but they would classify themselves as their own country. So there's more than just 195. And according to some Christian organisations, there may be four to 7,000 people groups in remote places within these countries that have never been reached by the gospel, which can make up at least 25% of the world's population. So yes, the gospel has gone to every country and every part of the continents around the world, but there might be four to 7,000 people groups that are yet to hear about the gospel, about 25%. So, in one sense, we're 100% there. But if Jesus means to all nations around the world, then we might be 75% there and 25% to go. We don't know. We might be there, we might not be there. Okay. Another amazing fact, that according to the Bible Society, um, the whole Bible has been translated into 700 languages over the years, which means that 80% of the world can understand or read the Bible. In just the last five years, the Bible has been translated into another 50 languages. They're working hard. And they're sending people out to learn languages to come back and translate it. And 1.8 billion more free Bibles have been distributed around the world in the last five years. And that doesn't include the Bibles given away by other people and obviously Bibles online and things like that too. So billions more people in the last five years have had access to Scripture via the internet and these free Bibles being given away. So maybe we are well on the way but not quite there yet. Okay, And then, Jesus said, then the end will come. So apart from the gospel need to be preached to all nations and then the end will come, what did the Apostle Paul say about timing and numbers? Okay, Turn to Romans chapter 11. So Jesus said the gospel has got to be, got to be preached around the world and then the end will come. And the Apostle Paul Explains another reason, or the reason, one of the reasons why we're waiting. In Romans eleven twenty-five, Paul says, "I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in." Now, the word Gentile is basically Excuse me, anyone who is not a Jew. Okay, so the rest of the world, apart from the Jews, the rest of the world, the full number of the Gentiles has come in. It seems that Paul is indicating here that our Heavenly Father is waiting for a particular number of Gentile people to be saved before he calls time. Has he got a number in his head? Well, from what I read from here, the indication is there is a certain amount. It's not infinite, like going on and on. There is a finite amount of people in our Father's mind that he says, right, that's enough. Now, we know it's a massive number, don't we? And it's taken over 2,000 years so far and growing. It's a massive number, but it is a number. 
nonetheless, that God says, I've got this in my mind. And it's going to be from all nations, not just America and the UK and other evangelized areas, but it's going to be from all nations. People are going to hear, they're going to respond, and it's going to be this massive number. And then I'm going to say, that's it, time is up. Okay. Are you part of that number? Yes. Have you turned to Jesus with all your heart? When we heard Nick's testimony today, there comes a point when you need to go all in. You're not all perfect. And you're not going to get it all right. But in a sense, your heart needs to make the decision, I'm all in for you, Jesus. No more pandering around, no more in and out kind of thing of trying you. I'm all in forever. You're my saviour. I know I'm not perfect and you're going to work on me. But when it comes to my decision for you, I'm turning away from trusting in myself, from living my own way and turning to you as my Lord, my God, my saviour. Are you in the number? Have you done that? Have you been baptised? Is the next response to your accepting Jesus' law, the next thing he said is, be baptised. Have you done that? When you're in the number. Okay. Thirdly, let's look at Peter's explanation for why the pregnancy of Jesus' promise of his return is even longer than an elephant's pregnancy. You know, it's 2,000 years and counting. Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, I think. Is it 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 3? It begins with above all. Is that right? No. No? Above all, you must understand in the last days. Is it 1 Peter 1 3? So I've written it down wrong in my Bible. No? 1 Peter 3 3? Mm. Oh, well, I'll read it to you, and if anyone's clever enough to find it. It says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. You know, God has already done it once almost ended the world. Don't forget that. He will do it again one day. He's done it once and he'll do it again. Jackie, where is it? 2 Peter 3.3. 3. 2 Peter 3.3. 3. Thank you very much, Jackie. You've already got a Tyler roll, haven't you? I need one. Exactly. Just. Right. 1 Peter. Sorry, 2 Peter 3.3. 3. And I'm now at verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So it's going to be, the world is going to experience fire from God. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's patient with the world for 2,000 years. Nick, was he patient with you? Yeah. 
patience. Yeah. Very patient. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be or ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Anyone here look forward to a holiday and speed its coming? Yes. <laughs> yes. Why? They don't have to answer, I'm just asking you. Think why? Anyone here look forward to retirement and speed its coming? Or did you look forward to retirement and speed its coming? <laughs> and again, I ask you, why? Is it okay, perhaps even courage, encouraged for Christians to look forward to the end of the world and even speed its coming? Yes. Yes. Why? Because it's good. Because it's, it's worth it for the joy that's set before you. All those wonderful reasons. In the meantime, though, how should we live? In the midst of these wars, rumours of wars, pestilence and things, how should we live? You ought to live holy and godly lives. I think a holy life is best described as God and you walking in sync. Do you, um, do you remember the, the monkeys? Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Okay. I need three other people, three other monkeys to come and join me and to demonstrate the monkey walk. Can you remember the monkey walk? Here we come, walking down the street. Get the funniest looks from. All right. Just two of us then, are you ready? To the left. There we go, can you see that? One more, one more. You sing, are you ready? Hey, hey, with the monkeys left. There we go, monkey no man. <laughs> there we go, thanks Stephen. Okay. Holiness, living a holy and godly life, is walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, take my yoke on you. Now a yoke was the wooden thing that, that kind of joined two uh, mules or two oxen together. Uh, and as they walked in a line, pulling something. So you and Jesus, walking in holiness, meaning in sync together. That's what we should be doing whilst we look forward to his coming and speed his coming. About six years ago, I went to an LBA, London Baptist Association, um, pastors kind of weekend thing. And um, there was a guy there called Dr. Samuel Calvin. He was at that time a Methodist minister, but also he was a speaker at Spurgeon's College, which I was attending, or he did attend. And he'd written a book about holiness. And he, was op he opened up for questions at the end of his kind of session. And I was embarrassed because I couldn't understand what my fellow pastors, the questions that they were asking. They were so theological and using words 
and understandings. I had no idea what the questions meant. Really, honestly, I had no idea what they were saying. And I felt ashamed because I'd done a theological kind of study as well in, in Bible college, and I thought I should know what they're saying, but I just didn't understand their questions and the wording that they used. And I thought, my church must be missing out. The church that I pastored because they haven't got someone as intelligent as these people with the questions and understanding that they have. And I went back to my room and I spoke to Jesus about how I was feeling. And I sensed that Jesus said to me, David, what question would you have liked to ask Calvin or Samuel Calvin? And I thought about it for a moment and I thought, yeah, I would like to ask him, how has his life changed since he wrote a book about holiness? Yeah. And I felt Jesus say to me, now that is a good question. Because holiness is about transformation, isn't it? Holiness is about walking with God and looking to Jesus and being transformed from glory to glory by the Holy Spirit living in you, being made more and more in the image of Jesus. That's holiness. It brings about transformation. And so I felt a little bit better about myself that I would ask a question that Jesus said, now that's a good question. Not that the other questions weren't good, but for me, how has studying holiness changed your life? So, how are we to live in the meantime? Holy and godly lives. All right. Okay. Let's finish, shall we? Um, if the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives within a believer when you become a Christian, and if that person is committed to listening and yielding and walking with the Holy Spirit, in sync, then you can't help but become a little bit more holy and holy as you grow. You'll never be perfect, the Bible says, we'll never reach it, attain perfection as the world sees perfection in this life. But we can expect transformation. Christianity, the Christian walk is dynamic, it's life, it's, it's living, isn't it? It's, it's kind of going forwards and transformation. It's a forward motion. Perhaps that's why they use the phrase backsliding. I think it's Smith Wigglesworth who said, if you're, if you're less aware of the Holy Spirit in you than you were five minutes ago, then you've backslidden. <laughs> Jesus said that the true nature of the kingdom of God is like yeast in, in bread. It spreads. The Holy Spirit inside you wants to grow and spread and affect every part of your life. Okay, carrying on with 2 Peter. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Are human beings ever going to be able to save the planet? No. We're called to be good stewards, but let's not get sidetracked with the urgency of saving the planet when our urgency is really saving people. Okay? 
So then, dear friends, verse 14, oh sorry, verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Another way of saying living a holy and godly life, walking in unison with Jesus. Now, in closing, I want to point out one more thing about birth pains or contractions. Apparently, they come in waves, is that correct? Which increase in frequency and pain the closer you get to the final push, is that right? You can actually measure the distance between contractions and if they get closer, shorter in time, you know you're getting closer to the birth. And actually the contractions might get more painful as well as you get closer to the birth. So that's another thing we can look at in the world to see how far along we are in these birth pains, is the frequency between pain Are we seeing an increase in the frequency of these kind of events, do you think? For me, it feels like right now the world is not, it hasn't even recovered from the last thing. And it's not just countries at the moment, is it? It's the world. The world is suffering at the same time with you know, different things, but some of the same things as well. And just as we think we've got over one thing, you feel like, um, was it Apollo Creed as uh, Ivan? Is it Ivan, the, the other boxer, the Russian boxer? He's kind of, yeah, you're on the ropes and you haven't got a break and the next blow is coming. Maybe it feels like that. But it's a good job we belong to Jesus and he has promised to be with us to the very end of the age. Now finally, here's a question for Caroline and any other retired midwife. When nearing the end of a pregnancy and expecting the onset of labour pains, what does the midwife hope and check for. Caroline? Move the head, see something. Coming head first. Okay, yeah. You, is the baby in the right position? Is it downwards, head first? And the next thing, is it in the right position? And is it, begins with E, engaged. Okay, those are the two things that the midwife looks for. Is the baby in the right position, head down, and is it engaged right down in the pelvis? Okay? Green Street, Green Baptist Church. As we hear of wars and rumours of wars and pestilences and things like that, what should our position be? Not, head, not upside down. <laughs> okay? Our position should be walking in sync with Jesus. Walking holy and godly lives Spirit-filled Christians in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Ultimately, we need to be saved. That's why God is patient, because he wants everyone to repent and be saved. Okay? So your position should be saved, but not just saved. Like Nick was sharing before, there's a continual kind of movement, a growth in our relationship with God, obedience. So first of all, your position. What position should you be in? A relationship with Jesus and walking in sync with him. And the second thing, Green Street Green Baptist Church, what should we be engaged in? Not just in the right position individually, but what should we be engaged in? Sharing the gospel, the Great Commission. Us as a church should be focused on two things. 
our relationship with the Lord and someone else's relationship as well, encouraging one another in our relationship with Jesus, discipling, and the Great Commission. Going out and sharing the gospel, making sure that everyone has heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when that happens, Jesus said, then the end will come. So we've got two things. I think our, our strap line is the, the green is meeting God. What's the next bit? Meeting God. Uh, changing lives, meeting, no, touching lives. I knew this morning, I haven't written it down, but I knew it this morning. There we go. Meeting God, changing lives, touching communities. Okay. I would simplify it to meeting God, making disciples. That's, that in a sense, that's the two things you should be focused on. Meeting God or fellowshiping with God and making disciples. All right. Okay. There's plenty of things going on at the green that you can get involved in, in making disciples, in going and preaching the gospel. There's healing on the streets, there's messy church, there's tea club, lunch club, maybe host an alpha. There's the churches together, street evangelism weekly. Join a small group. Martin Chapman is coming in October to teach us about evangelism. There's things going on that you can get engaged in to learn or get engaged with evangelism. Okay, your homework? Homework? Remember what Jesus said these things must happen? Well, right at the beginning in Genesis 3, God told Eve, from now on, childbirth would be painful. Sorry, ladies, are you experiencing child, painful childbirths? Why? Ask yourself, why would childbirth be painful? And therefore, why did Jesus say these things must happen and the, child, the painful birth pains of the world happen in order for this to happen? Why was childbirth become painful and why is the earth experiencing painful birth pains until Jesus comes back? That's your homework. Ask the question, why, in Genesis chapter 3.